0: All right, brethren, James chapter 5. Got to tell you, I love the book of James. I've learned so much from my own soul, for my own sanctification. I pray that it's helped you. <clears throat> we'll open with prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, I thank you, Father, for the Lord's Supper that we just partook of. Lord, I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be refreshed. And, Father, that we would never look upon any sin lightly. Oh, God, that we would remember the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. And, Father, that we would, all, we would all also remember that he has risen again. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high and now intercedes for us there. Oh God, I thank you for these precious souls. Father, I pray that you'd help each one. Be with those, our dear brethren, that are traveling. I pray that you'd bring them along safely. And Father, uh, help us this Lord's Day, Father, to magnify you in our own hearts and lives. I pray the words of our mouths and the meditations Of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight O Lord our strength and our Redeemer we ask it in Jesus name Amen. Amen well previously in the book of James he has encouraged us in our faith to look above and to look beyond the cruelty and the suffering and oppression that goes on in the world and many times is 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 bent towards people of faith people that believe in Jesus Christ In fact, after James writes that first part of chapter 5, he encourages us, telling us twice to be patient in waiting for our Lord's return. And, beloved, that's where he directs our hearts. When we go through trials, when we go through uh, the oppressions of this life, when we go through difficulties in this life, he he encourages us to remember that your Lord is going to return. Look there in verses 7 and 8. He says, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, just like the farmer, the husbandman, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And so, beloved, he's teaching us don't lose heart. You need to wait for your Lord's coming. It's just like, the farmer that plants his field. He doesn't go out the next day and harvest it. He's got to wait for the full crop to come in. And he waits for the precious fruit of the earth. I know Benny knows something about that because he does a lot of farming. So he's got to go out and work in his garden every day to make sure he brings forth a good crop. And so James is teaching us, don't lose heart in your sufferings. Don't lose heart. He's telling us, be patient. Look above and beyond your sufferings in this life and know that your Lord is going to return. Just as the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, well, the Lord's waiting. And on that day when the, the Father in heaven sends him back to get his bride, he's going to come back and get us, beloved. So listen, we are to wait as Christians by faith and we are to wait in anticipation with expectation every single day. Listen, if, if you do that by faith, beloved, it'll change the way you live each and every day in your Christian life. If you're always looking to the heavens, looking to Christ. And so we're to wait with anticipation, with expectation, beloved. And that makes our sufferings all the more, I, I would say, easier to go through and to endure. In fact, look at Second Peter. We read this last week just to remind you of this. You know, there's many debates and arguments that come up between theologians and Christians alike about the coming of the Lord. But here's what I think you should get from the coming of the Lord. This is what it should produce in your life. And Peter talks about it right here uh, in verse 13 and 14 of Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. This is what the coming of Christ should do in you. It should sanctify you. He says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, and what's the promise? That he's going to return. We, according to his promise, look for. That means we watch and we anticipate. We expect. In in fact, every single day, we should expect that, Lord, you may return today. And so he says that. He says, we believe his promise, and therefore we look for a new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And I love verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, and that's the description of who you should be. You should be looking for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You should be looking for the parting of the skies. You should be looking for your Lord to return. And beloved, when we do that, well then we can look above and beyond the afflictions of this life, and we don't get bogged down in the dark valleys and the sufferings of this life. So he says, seeing that you look for such things, and notice, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And beloved, that's what the coming of the Lord Jesus should do in you. It's what it should produce in you. And so we see that, and then in James 5, 9, James said, seeing that the Lord's going to return, he says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. And that is when he does come. So he continues to speak of this thing of the Lord's return, but he says, don't grudge. Now, who were these grudges against? Who is this hatred against? Could have been against their oppressors. I don't know who it was against. But here he says, brethren, it would be be really bad if the brethren were oppressing, right? But we know it happened in Old Testament Israel. And so, beloved, grudge not, he says, one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned when he come. And then he says, behold, the judge stands before the door. And again, I remind you of what 2 Peter says. Don't overlook what the Lord's return should do in you, what it should produce in you. It should sanctify you. It should prepare you. You should always be anticipating our Lord's return. And I think that's the idea that James conveys here. Now in verses 10 and 11, he continues uh, to teach us about patience. Um, And the question for you here is, do you know how to suffer patiently? Do you know how to suffer? Do you know how to be tried patiently? Do you persevere, beloved? Do you hold on your way in your Christian life when trials and sufferings come, or do you just check out? Do you just retreat? Do you run from your trials? Does it put a halt to your Christian life? Does it put a halt to your faith? And it shouldn't. Notice he says in verse 10, take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and of patience. So James is telling us to look at the prophets for an example of suffering and of patience. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You notice it doesn't say, Behold, we count them happy which suffer. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, listen, every one of you, me, every one of us, beloved, should possess the grace of patience. If you've been saved from your sins, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, you should have this God given patience, this patience that God grants to us when He equips us. When he saves us from our sins. As we grow in grace and as we continue to learn Christ, we should be increasingly sanctified in this grace. You should be more patient. Now, I'm going to explain this patience. Patience doesn't simply mean waiting. Patience here means continuing. Patience means when you're loaded up with trials, you abide. You stay under those trials. You stay on course with Christ. I often think of the old B-17 bombers in World War II. Um, even our jets, when we went and flew into Iraq, when they would fly in, they had to fly toward the objective, and there would be AAA, anti-aircraft fire that would come up from the ground. And the the B-17s, would fly, and they couldn't go as fast as an F-15, obviously. But they had to drop their bombs inside of the theater of war. And that AAA, that anti-aircraft fire was blowing up all around them and buffeting them. Well, those guys turned around. They said, I'm not doing this. No, they didn't do that. They kept on to the target. They kept on. They kept on, and they dropped their payloads. And, beloved, that's what we are to do. We are to continue. And that's what this patience means here. And you are to add to that. God equips you when he saves you. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. God equips you, but now, beloved, you are to add to your faith. You are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the question for you here is, is do you have this this God-given patience within you. And I'll tell you that if you're a Christian, you must have it. You have to have it. And the next question is, are you growing in the grace of patience? Look at 2 Peter 1.3. Look there. Peter says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In other words, for your Christian life, to live your Christian life in this world. And it comes through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so, beloved, it's going to come from the word. This is where God speaks to us. We just saw a moment ago that James said, take the prophets for an example of suffering. Well, how are you going to know how they suffered in the scriptures? You're going to see it. But look at verse 4. He says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, you see that next word, add. That means furnish and nourish your, add to your faith or furnish your faith with virtue and knowledge and add to your knowledge temperance, and add to temperance, there it is, patience. And this word patience means constancy, steadfastness through whatever God ordains in your life. Listen, that's why we sang that song. Whatever God ordains in my life for me is right. And I am to willingly submit myself to what God has ordained for me in my life with patience trusting God. Listen, patience is a produce of cheerful and willing submission to God. Did you get that? Patience is a produce of cheerful and willing submission to God. If we're impatient, we don't submit to what God assigns to us in our lives. God assigns things for you in your Christian life to help you, to sanctify you, to prepare you for heaven. Listen, there are many examples, beloved, for us to learn from and glean in the Holy Scriptures of what patience looks like in the life of a believer. And that's what James is telling us to do. Verse 10, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering. For example, of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So James's design here was that we would go to the word of God and learn from those that patiently endured some really terrible things. And so that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our faith in Christ that we would patiently trust God. And so that's James' design. Now listen, from the day of your new birth, God began to teach you patience. You may not think he did, but he did. God begins to teach you from the time of your new birth. Now, just like a child that doesn't understand a lot of things that we're teaching them, you probably don't understand some of the things that God is teaching you. But I'll tell you, he is teaching you one thing here. He teaches us many things. But in this text, he's teaching you the grace of patience. He's teaching you to trust him, to wait upon him and his holy will for everything in your life doesn't mean wait, don't do anything. It means to continue to believe in him through that anti-aircraft fire, through your Christian life, through the things that happen to you. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians that patience is the fourth fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you say, I don't see patience there. Well, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Another word for long-suffering is patience. Here in James, that same Greek word is translated patience. So it's the same word, long-suffering. It's the old archaic word, longanimity. And you know what it means? It means long-souled, longanimity, long-spirited, beloved. And, And it's all contained in that word that we stay. It means to remain steadfast. It means to remain constant. It means to persevere, to abide, to stay with Christ through the thick and the thin. When buffeted, when tried, and when afflicted, to stay with Christ. To not stop reading your Bible. To not stop going to church when things get bad. To not retreat, to run the other way. No, beloved, that's when we need to go more. Mm -hmm. We need to go more all the time, but beloved, especially when the troubles come. Listen, when the torrent of sufferings and trials come, you don't retreat and run away from Christ. You stay the course. And it's appropriate that we should quote Job here. We hold on our way. The righteous, Job says, shall hold on their way. And so, beloved, that's what we are to do. We are to continue to walk by faith in Christ. Now, listen, I'm not going to tell you this is easy. You know when you've been in trial, sometimes they will stifle you. And it's like you go into a day and you're miserable. Living life is miserable because of something that you're going through. But, beloved, we need to keep pressing on. And we need to trust the Lord, knowing that what he has appointed for us is It's for our own sanctification. Beloved, the Christian will hold on his or her way. You will hold on your way. You won't draw back. You won't turn away. Look at Matthew chapter 13. This is the parable of the sower. And I just want you to see one explanation of the second ground of the sower. We know that there there was the wayside. There was the stony ground. There was the thorns and there was the good ground. There's only one good ground in this parable and that's the final one, that's the good ground where the ground is prepared, where the ground's soft and moist and it's good soil. All the weeds are gone, all the rocks are pulled out. But here, let me see where we're at. In verse 20, he explains the stony ground hearer. Now, I wanna remind you that all of the seed that was broadcast in this parable was good seed. There was no bad seed, it was all good. Here, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon, or it's an archaic word for immediately with joy, Receiveth it. Receives what? Receives the word. Yet hath he not root in himself. But notice those next four words. But dureth or endures or perseveres for a while, for a season. Means temporarily. It's someone that believes temporarily. For when persecution or tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Means stumbles and falls away. No patience given by God. No trust in the Lord. No grace from God to continue. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 8. 24 and verse 8. What do you do when the torrent of trials and sufferings come, when the overwhelming, it seems like, you ever been in a situation It just seems like, well, God, you're piling on. It's like one thing after another, things start happening. That's why each day, beloved, find your place at the throne of grace and ask God for grace. Don't be superstitious and say, well, I'm not going to ask for patience and God's going to. No. Pray that God would help you with his grace for whatever he sends. And listen, that's how we ought to pray. Listen, our Father which art in heaven, Lord, he's your Father in heaven. He's not going to hurt you. And so trust him for each and every day. Look at, this is the the last days and the apostles asked him about the destruction of Jerusalem, but also asked him about when the end of the age would be. Look at verse 8, he says, In Matthew 24, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, we know something about that now as Christians, don't we? And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold But he that shall endure all of these things, all of these sufferings, being hated, being persecuted, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. If you're in Christ, that's you. You will endure to the end because God will bring you to the end. But I'll also tell you, you must endure to the end. You must hold on your way. You can't just do nothing and say, well, God's going to take me to the end. No, beloved, you need to hold on your way, trusting that God will bring you there. We won't go to Job, but Job 17, 9, The righteous shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. That's the definition of a Christian, stronger and stronger in the graces, in the grace of patience. Stronger and stronger, trusting God more every day. Beloved, that ought to be all of us. We ought to trust God more with every passing day. Peter says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You should be a stronger Christian today than you were yesterday. You should have less confidence in yourself today as you did yesterday. More confidence in God. Psalm 84, one more short passage. Psalm 84 In verse 4, and so, beloved, the grace of patience should be growing in you. You should be growing in this grace of patience. Notice in verse 4, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. And that word dwell brings it with the implication of constantly in thy house, in thy presence. They will still be praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, whose heart are the ways of them. Who passing through the valley of Baca, or a desert place, that it makes he makes it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They, that is the righteous, go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Beloved, that should be you, and that should be me. Now, I have a quote I want to read to you from a commentator named Rudolf Steer. Now listen carefully. Rudolf Steer writes of this passage, "Sufferings to men and women are inevitable. And in this there is goodwill and the counsel of God. In what? In our sufferings. Tribulation and trials are wholesome. They tend to improve to test, to purify, and confirm, confirm our faith. Be ye especially patient, children of God, you disciples of the Lord Jesus. For in that you suffer a while with the Lord Jesus, this is the appointed and foretrodden way for you to all the greater glory. This is the doctrine upon which all the Scripture expatiates. That word expatiate means opens and enlarges. So what Rudolf Steer is saying here, this is the doctrine upon which all the Scripture opens and enlarges to us, teaches us. And herein, in this book of books, the one sitting in your laps, in this book of books incomparable, that it constantly and faithfully gives the right word of instruction and exhortation to all those that suffer, to all those that suffer. Beloved, your comfort is in the word of God. I'll just read, uh, if you're not there, and you're probably not there, I'll just read Romans 15, four and five to you. Paul wrote, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning you are to learn christ beloved when you go to the scripture know that every letter on every page is profitable for you for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction how to live this christian life how to live this christian life patiently waiting upon our lord he said it's written for our learning now listen that we through and this is very important through patience and comfort of the scriptures You say, I want to be comforted by God. Get into the word. Through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And then in verse 5, he says, now the God of patience. He's the God of patience. That means he's the God that grants it to you. The God of patience. Now we know God is patient. So it's written in that sense, but God grants us this Patience That we are to nourish in our hearts, like Peter said, we just read a moment ago, we add to our faith patience. And so the God of patience and consolation or comfort grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Listen, if you would patiently hold on your way and continue steadfastly in the faith through every suffering and trial, you must trust God. And you must trust God when you're flying through that minefield. You must trust God when you're in a very difficult circumstance. You must continue to trust God. But so often we get blinded and we, keep, we, we focus on our trial rather than focusing on God. And beloved, we must trust God and be constant learners. Constant learners of what is written in the word of God, which is for our comfort. So remember, patience, comfort, and hope will only come to those who are learning Christ. Listen, you won't learn patience if you're not in the Word, if you forsake the means of grace that God has provided to you. You won't learn patience. You won't learn Christ from the Word. But, beloved, that is what we're called upon to do. Now think about this. No human in the world lives without afflictions. There is no human that lives without afflictions and sufferings. But what a pity to suffer and then to die without Christ. What a pity to have never come to him for mercy, forgiveness, and for the salvation of your soul, from the misery of your sins, if you're lost. To have never trusted the God of patience. To never rest in his salvation and in his comfort. And then after living a miserable and hopeless life, to suffer the incomprehensible miseries of hell for all eternity. Every human suffers, but what a miserable life to suffer and then die and go to hell. Listen, if you're lost, your misery and suffering should drive you from the world to Christ for salvation. For you, children of God, your present trials and suffering should drive you from the world and away from your sins, which are the cause of all of your misery to wholehearted trust in Christ, who is only able to give you comfort and hope. Listen, we as Christians ought to be able to rejoice in our sufferings. In fact, the scriptures teach us rejoice in the Lord today, beloved, in whatever God's ordained for you, and wait patiently for your future hope of eternal life. And that is how we are able to glory in what God sends to us presently. Look at Romans chapter five and verse one. Romans five and verse one. Listen, when your sufferings come, this thought should come into your mind, when your sufferings come. My sufferings are sent to my life for my own sanctification, to teach me, to wean me from the world, to prepare me for heaven. That's why I'm going through this. Don't get all closed in in a cocoon of suffering where you're not looking up to God in your sufferings. Trust the Lord. Yes, there'll be some very difficult things that we go through, beloved, but you need to trust God through it. You need to trust God by faith because that's what God has assigned and appointed for you. Look at verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse is pregnant with comfort, peace with God. He says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand on firm footing in Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's like saying we rejoice in eternal life. And not only do we rejoice in eternal life, verse 3, but we glory, or as it means, we rejoice in tribulations also. Now listen, Paul's not teaching us to rejoice in troubles and tribulations for suffering's sake, just to rejoice that you're in them. But no. He says, we rejoice in tribulations knowing that tribulation worketh, or it produces patience or endurance or constancy, or steadfastness in Christ. That's why we can glory in tribulations. And tribulation worketh patience. And patience, it produces experience. Or it makes us approved. It strengthens us in our faith in Christ. So patience endures steadfastness, beloved. It strengthens us in our faith in Christ. And experience produces hope. That is expectation and confidence in our God. Beloved, keep that passage close to your heart. I would memorize that passage. And when you find yourself in overwhelming trials, just say to yourself and pray, Lord, yes, tribulation, work of patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. It's what I like to call the Christian growth cycle. It will continue until you find yourself in heaven, beloved. And then in our text, James tells us a little more about the suffering prophets, why they suffered. Well, Scripture says they had spoken in the name of the Lord. Consider the prophets for an example of affliction, suffering and affliction, and it tells you what their occupation was, what they were called to do. They spoke in the name of the Lord. Listen, it's one thing to be a Christian, It's quite another thing to be an outspoken Christian who witnesses, who testifies of Christ, but who also has a godly life in this present evil world. See, it's one thing to profess that you're a Christian. It's another thing to live an outward Christian life. Just look at how the prophets were resisted, how they were mistreated, how they were hated, fact Paul told Timothy yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution you go out and live your faith publicly you testify of Christ you witness for Christ beloved you'll know what it is to be like one of the prophets but again James says look at the prophets and how they were resisted and yet they continued to faithfully preach the Word and to live their Christian lives. I'm just going to show you one prophet because you know this. Look at Amos. In fact, Amos is part of my Bible reading. Look at the prophet Amos. Just uh, five verses out of Amos, right after Hosea and Joel. Amos chapter 7. Now, the book of Amos is basically God's judgment and condemnation of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Listen, Amos was a herdsman. He was out herding the cattle and the sheep, and God called him, and he answered that call, and he was obedient to God. And he was mistreated for preaching the word of the Lord. God said, go say this, and Amos was faithful to do it. He didn't capitulate. He didn't compromise. God said, say this, and he said it, and the people went after him for it. And thus James speaks here, Consider the prophets who have suffered affliction and consider them in their patience. Look at verse 10 of chapter 7. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. That was, that's the second Jeroboam, the son of Joash, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. Well, no, he's not. He's, he's telling you how to return to God. It says the land, he says he's conspiring and he's saying the land is not able to bear and he says the land is not able to bear all of his words. You need to shut him up. He's a troubler of the people. He's a pestilent fellow. For thus saith Amos, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Now you think about a prophet back in that time. Those kings had absolute authority. He could have went and took Amos' head off. They didn't have, the king was the law, and this is what he's prophesying. He said, Also Amaziah said unto Amos, "O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, just get out of here and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, "I was no prophet. that's not what I was doing." Neither was I a prophet's son. I wasn't raised to be a prophet, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me. And as I followed the flock and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. And so he says, listen, I didn't choose this, but God called me and I'm going to do it. And he preached by the authority of the word of God. And so consider one more in the New Testament in the book of Acts so you could see how they suffered. And here we have righteous Stephen who preached to the uh, self-righteous Jews just two verses in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 and 52 in the book of Acts. And here he's talking to the religious establishment. He says, you stiff-necked And uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. And you know what happened to Stephen after that. They stoned him and they killed him. Turn to Hebrews, one last verse. So listen, when you think that things are happening in your life and they're too difficult for you to bear, consider the life of one of God's prophets. Consider the lives of one of God's messengers. Hebrews chapter 11. And listen, James writes this to encourage us, beloved, to hold on our way. In verse 35 of chapter 11, he talks about those uh, in verse 33 and 40, 34, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 35 women received their dead raised to life again, not accepting deliverance. Uh, I'm sorry, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's something. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. You think the grace of patience was upon them? They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in the dens and in the caves. All these, these, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They waited for their Lord. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. They held on. Now look at verse 12, he continues. Wherefore, beloved, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, these suffering saints, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, if God saved you from your sins, he's the author of your faith, and he will be the finisher of your faith. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. James says, consider the prophets. Now the writer of Hebrews says, consider the Lord Jesus. Who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And so, what a thing to consider. What an encouragement for us. But finally, in verse 11, let me close out here. James writes, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Well, they don't look happy, do they? I mean, you look at what these, these saints suffered. We count them happy which endure. What that means is those who endured and remained steadfast who stayed the course with Christ. Look at James 1.12. You're right there. Turn to James 1.12. James spoke about this in the beginning of his book. There's that word blessed again. It means happy. Blessed or happy is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So, blessed is that man, or happy is that man that endureth to temptation, or happy is that man who has endured through his trial. Now he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. But, beloved, only to those that endured, only to those that endured. And so in James 5.11, God exalts a man that wasn't a prophet. He exalts a man, Job. Here's a man who wasn't a prophet. He was a husband and a father. He was a rich man. James uses him as an example of one who patiently endured through overwhelming trials. Everybody knows about the book of Job. And though there were times when he faltered, when you read Job, you can see that he faltered at times, beloved. But ultimately, Job continued to hold on his way, and he trusted God all the way to the end. Look at Job 42. We'll read that little portion, and then we'll start winding down. Job 42 and verse 10. you know it's interesting because James says you have heard of the patience of Job notice he didn't say you've read about the patience of Job they didn't have Bibles but Job's life had been preached and Job's life testified about his patience and his trusting of God so here Job comes all the way through this thing and Job is a good book for us to read uh, betimes, often in verse 10 after Job had come through his trial and, and God spoke to him, as it seems, face to face, it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. In fact, he, he told them, pray for your friends. And he told his, God told his friends, he rebuked them. He says, you've not spoken the thing that's right like my servant Job. So also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now remember, Job lost everything that he had. He lost his family. His wife came to him and said, Curse God and die. Are you still holding fast your integrity? And then Job lost all of his children. And still he held fast. You say, well, I can't go through what I'm going through. He lost all of his children. And he held fast his integrity, beloved. So we need to consider the patience of Job and to know that God will equip you with the same grace. God equips all of his people. Don't look at Job as if he was some super saint. Look at Job's super God because God's the one that strengthened Job. It says God gave him twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all of his brethren and his sisters and all they that had been Of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house well there's another thing to see that he was all alone in his trial everybody departed from him there was this thought that Job had done some evil and that's why all of this had befallen him beloved that's another temptation what have I done wrong because all these things are happening to me Job was a man that feared God and shunned evil He prayed daily, offered sacrifices for all of his children. And then this happened. And listen, the tenor of the whole book comes down to this. Does Job fear God for nothing? And that was Satan's challenge. And beloved, that's what you need to consider in your own heart. Because Satan said, Job fears you because you've blessed him. And you give him a bunch of stuff. And you protect him. But he won't fear you. He'll curse you to your face if you take everything that he's got. Take it all. He'll curse you to your face. He, doesn't, he won't fear you for nothing, for zero. Or well, he did. And beloved, that's the Christian life. Do you fear God? Do you revere God simply for who God is? If God gives you nothing. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Is that your heart? Beloved, that needs to be our hearts. That needs to be how we live our Christian lives. So now... He was all alone with these three tormentors telling him, well, this is happening to you because you're a wicked man, this wouldn't happen to a righteous man. Well, they were wrong. So now everybody comes back to him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You know, we would look and say, boy, I'd rather just be at the beginning. No, beloved. God is fashioning you for heaven. You, can, you know, we think sometimes before all this happened, everything was going great. No, beloved, God is fashioning you for heaven. And listen, your latter end is going to be better because you are going to see the face of Christ, beloved. That's your sufferings are fashioning you for heaven. They're preparing you for eternal life. And so Job's latter end, was better for he had fourteen thousand sheep, and I realized they show the the earthly possessions that he had. And God blessed him a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He got he's he's has children again. He named the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Karenhapuk. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And, of course, Job lived on, and he saw his grandchildren to four generations. So Job died being full of days. Listen, God's going to bless your latter end. And don't look at the earthly possessions. God's going to bless your latter end in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Listen, beloved, there are similarities In Job's trials that you will experience in your own trials. When your trials come, you will begin to ask questions. You will question God at times. You will doubt God. You will have these natural thoughts that will torment you. That's your natural mind. You will look back to what you thought were better days rather than looking forward with eyes of faith to God's blessings and design for you, which will come after you have patiently endured what God has assigned for you, for your own sanctification and for your eternal blessedness or happiness. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Listen, don't forget these words, brethren, from the text back in James, and you don't have to go back there. Remember this. Behold, we count them happy which endure. To endure, we count them happy which remain steadfast. Two more short passages, 1 Peter 5.10, and I'll be done. 1 Peter 5.10, 5, and then 2 Corinthians. I love this passage in 1 Peter 5.10 and 11 notice peter writes but the god of all grace and if you know anything about the first epistle of peter it's about suffering but the god of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus if you're saved do you realize that you have been called to god's eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while make you perfect establish strengthen settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then finally 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Notice there Paul writes to the Corinthians for all things or for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, overflow to you. Redound means overflow to you, be abundant toward you, to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. Christians aren't fainters. But though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that moment he defines as our earthly lives, it worketh in us. In other words, the afflictions of this life, it works in us, preparing us for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. means an eternity far beyond your earthly comprehension. Beloved, this is where our minds need to be fixed in the sufferings of this life. And he says, While we look not at the things which are seen. Your trials are seen, beloved. But we are to look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. But the things which are seen are eternal. Beloved, we need to keep our hearts and our minds, our affections set in the heavens. Listen, sufferings and trials are going to come. They are. But beloved, consider the patience of Job. And then at the end of that, he says, consider the end of the Lord in Job's life. It means consider the purpose of all of Job's sufferings and the design of them was to bless him in the latter end. Listen, that's what God's design is for you and whatever he ordains in your life, beloved, to bless you. Listen, he is preparing you for heaven. He is conforming you to the image of Christ. Don't falter. Don't turn back, but to continue to hold on your way. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us, oh God, to be sanctified with patience, Father, that only you can give us, help us, Father, to hold on our way, help us to obey your word, Father, help us, Father, to continue with a constancy with a perseverance, looking to you, Father, and to not falter in the day of adversity, oh God, you taught us if if our if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small, Well Father, we must have a strength that comes from outside of us, it must come from you. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, in in our earthly lives, these momentary lives, Father. Help us to keep our, our thoughts and our minds and our affections set in the heavens to that which is eternal and enduring, O oh God. Help us to keep our eyes on Christ and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen brethren. I pray that you'd be back tonight. Brother Randy will be preaching at 5.30. So I look forward to seeing you then. Um, All right, brethren, we are dismissed.